0: are you looking for a new job are you hiring but can't find diverse talented candidates then we have something that can help our job board head on over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to browse listings or to place your own this week on the job board pollen midwest is looking for an art director pollen is based in minneapolis but this is a remote position Work & Co. is looking for a Senior QA Analyst, a Senior Product Manager, and a Product Management Lead. These positions are for Work & Co.'s office in Brooklyn, New York. Architecture Plus Information is looking for a Graphics-slash-Branding-slash-Experience Designer in New York City. The Advanced Education Research and Development Fund is looking for a Senior UX Researcher. This is a remote position. WW Norton & Company, Inc. is looking for a design assistant in New York City. Pentagram is looking for a graphic designer in New York City. And Civic Actions is looking for a product designer. This is a remote position. For just $99, we will feature your listing on our job board for 30 days and help spread the word about it to our audience of listeners. We also offer an annual job board subscription for companies and organizations. Make sure to head over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs for more information on these listings and others. Apply today and tell them you heard about the job through Revision Path. Get started with us and expand your job search today. Revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. Texas State University's Communication Design Program is excited to announce the State of Black Design Conference a three-day virtual event March 4th, 5th, and 6th. This year's theme is Family Reunion, and there'll be over 50 amazing speakers, including author and educator Jelani Cobb and world-renowned poet, activist, and educator Nikki Giovanni. This year debuts the State of Black Design's Resume Book Initiative, so if you're a Black Design student or you're a Black designer looking for your next role, then listen up. You'll be able to submit your resume and your portfolio to the resume book, along with your institution of study and major if you're a student, and recruiters and employers will have access to it before the event. If you're interested and you want to be included in the resume book, send your info to blackdesign at txstate.edu with the subject line resume book. You have until March 3rd to submit. The State of Black Design Conference is brought to you with the support of the University of Texas at Austin, Universal Pictures Home Entertainment, Microsoft, General Motors, Design for America, Sevilla, IDSA, AIGA, and Revision Path. Tickets are available at txstate.edu forward slash black design. Just click the register now button. There'll also be a link in the show notes as well. Hope to see you there. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, I just want to remind you again about 28 Days of the Web. 28 Days of the Web is where we showcase a different Black designer or developer for each day during this month in celebration of Black History Month. Check out this year's honorees and look at previous years of honorees over at 28daysoftheweb.com. Oh, and while you're on the site, you can also pick up some merch. We've got special 28 Days of the Web merch, which will only be available for this month. But if you head over there, you can also pick up a Revision Path hoodie or a T-shirt or a mug. I think we got stickers over there, too. 100% of merch sales go right back into the production of this podcast. So if you've been looking for a way to not only let people know that you listen to this podcast, but also support us as well, it's a really great way to help out with what we're doing over here. Again, thank you all so, so much for your support. Now let's take some time out and thank our accessibility sponsor for this episode, Brevity and Wit. Brevity & Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They accomplish this through graphic design, presentations, and workshops around IDEA, Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, and Accessibility. If you're curious to learn how to combine a passion for IDEA with design, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity & Wit, creative excellence without the grind. Now for this week's interview... I'm talking with Reese Quinones, Executive Vice President and Creative Director at the Hatcher Group and an Adjunct Professor of Design at George Mason University. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do.
1: Hello, my name is Reese Quinones, and I'm the Executive Vice President and Senior Creative Director for Hatcher, a PR marketing and design firm in the D.C. area. I'm also an adjunct professor of design at George Mason University, located in Fairfax, Virginia.
0: How has uh, 2022 been going for you so far?
1: It's been great. Very, very busy. We ended 2021 with a bang, and I can't believe it's almost the end of January already. And it just seems like it's flying by, but it's been very good.
0: Yeah, I, I, we sort of, you know, you and I talked about this before recording, but like it seems like the year started and there was no kind of ramping up into anything. Everyone just kind of got to work, which usually I I don't mind that. But it has been a very busy, <laughs> it's been a very busy month so far.
1: Yes, it has. It has been busy, and I think we've been two years into the pandemic, so there's a lot of fatigue out there too. You know, so with everything, with the work continuing to ramp up, with everyone feeling really comfortable with this Catella work, it just seems you know there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure to still perform as companies are starting to think about how they're going to return back to the office. I think a lot of people are really trying to say, hey, I'm good here.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we're at this, I think, really interesting shift in, I want to say it's uniquely American, but it's really something that's happening worldwide. But I mean, we're in America, you and I. So Mm -hmm. I think it affects Americans differently because we have such a symbiotic relationship with work. (laughs) And so... (laughs) The fact that like there are going to be these large structures around capitalism and work that have to be up in, or that have been upended because of the pandemic. Like companies are trying to see if hybrid is a good deal, if they should still stay remote. You know, they're selling office spaces. They're buying more office spaces. Companies are really trying to like figure out what's next. And I think it's difficult for them. But then also with workers, we're realizing in general that like the work is always going to be there that we have more power as workers than we thought. And so we can advocate for, you know, greater, better work experiences. So this is a really kind of transformative time overall.
1: I think so, too. I think Hatcher has done a really great job. They just went flexible first, meaning if you want to work from home, you can. If you want to work in the office, you can. And if you want to do both, you can. And just really looking at that, I think, has been really something that has kept people in the office and just really just love the culture that we've created there. So I'm just happy that we were able to move forward with that.
0: So right now, are you able to go back into the office or you're still kind of doing things remotely?
1: We can if we want to, but most people are remote
0: (laughs) and it's great. What does an average day look like?
1: It's busy. You know, one of the things that we really worked on during the pandemic, when we just immediately switched over to working from home just one day to the next, I was telling you a little bit earlier, I was the only holdout. I thought for some reason that it would only last a week. And then I realized like, oh, wait, I don't think this is going to last a week. I went back to the office to get my chair and and to get my desktop computer and all the things that I needed. But one of the things that we really worked on is Communication. So work at Hatcher is really just this wonderful this wonderful realm. My team in the morning, we always like jump on chat, we say good morning, like you would if you just came in the office. This morning, one of my designers saved a dog that was kind of limping in the street. And we were like hearing about it (laughs) (laughs) play by play. But that's the wonderful thing about it. So we have kept a wonderful relationship. So that's always really good. It's really busy. The way I form my team is really in a way that everybody can grow in the way they want to grow. So as a part of their goals, they say, you know, hey, I'm more interested in design ops. Can I move in that role? Or I'm really interested in becoming an art director. Can I move in that role? So I try to ensure that all of my designers have the ability to learn from each other and to learn different types of design so if i have somebody that's mostly print that wants to learn ux they can do that yeah just a really busy day we have a great team of production that just keeps the trains moving i have three card directors that help to ensure that the work looks great and um in my senior creative role i can normally formulate the strategy and just look at, um, high level creative. Okay. But it's a busy day full of meetings. So, but it's also one that's really exciting and we're able to really do some amazing things with amazing clients.
0: I think that's really great that people are able to be flexible on the team like that. If there's other things that they want to, uh, To get into, they can do that, particularly, I think, within an agency kind of framework. Like like I've worked largely with startups over the past five years. And with those, it can be easy to kind of just bounce from thing to thing because they maybe haven't built out a robust network of people that work there yet. Like it's mostly engineers. They may not have that much on creative. So if you want to jump into doing something else, you can just say, I want to do something else and you can do it. With firms it seems like it's a bit more regimented because you've got, you know, creative directors and art directors and production mm-hmm. designers, et cetera. But it's it sounds like it's pretty flexible at Hatcher.
1: It is. And it's really important to me because I realized as I was coming up, the integration of kid design was really important. And I know you remember a day that When there was a job description, they wanted everything, right? Like, oh, are you a website designer? Can you do print? Can you do this? Can you do that? And and we're all looking at each other, like, come on, really? Like, what do you? (laughs) And so I did. I learned all those things, you know. So over the years, over I did UX, I did product design. I, you know, I've done marketing communications, design, advertising, environmental design, digital. You know, so you've done all of it, and I realized that it really capsulates. The importance of design, that the foundational thing that you need to always know about design is basically that good design can transcend whatever medium, right? So you need to understand how to design well, how to communicate that, how to understand your user, no matter if it's a brochure or you're working on a product. It's still the same. You still have a user that's going to use it that you need to consider. So that's how I formulate my team. And really pushing them to learn, you know, hey, you want to do motion? Okay, let's do motion. Let's grab you and let's have, have, have you work on this project. And it just really grows the team so quickly and allows us to have more people that can do a certain type of task.
0: So, given that, like, how do you approach a new project if it seems like designers can be that flexible to, to bounce between disciplines like that?
1: Mm-hmm. So, my production team have learned, again, we still have kid designers that might be really good at motion or really good at long form reports or annual reports, etc. And then we also know what kid designers want. I might have a designer who have asked, hey, I really want to work on an infographic. or And so we're like, great. Depending on the project, depending on the the level that's needed for that project. Sometimes I do need a senior designer to work on a project. Sometimes I need an art director to work on the project. And sometimes it's a team. We gather together, we look at all the projects and we assign them based on who can best deliver that project. And then if we have somebody that wants to learn, then they are also put on the team as well. And then from there... We schedule out and have a meeting, a launch, and the work gets done. And it's always at a high quality. That's something that I've been known for, for my students as well, as well as my staff. That quality is important.
0: When you look at your work, what would you say is like the hardest part about what you do?
1: I love design so much. It's really a hobby as well (laughs) when I'm in my off hours. So as I'm looking over what the hardest part is is just making sure that I think it's more on the client side, right? So it's just making sure that they understand our process and they understand the whys in the decision-making that we have. The world is so much more design-savvy because of media, because of video, social media. They're seeing design on an everyday basis. Several times a day, they're just seeing good design come to them. So a lot of clients will come with preconceived notions on what they think will be appropriate for their project. And sometimes it's not understanding the user, understanding the metrics, understanding the goals and the KPIs they have on the project. So sometimes I have to sit and kind of explain why we came up with a certain direction for them to understand why it works. And I will say, even though that is the difficult part, it 99.999% of the time works. Because when you use design, when you use the foundations of design, the theories of design, and you explain it back to the client, then they're like, oh, I get it. Great. Because that's why they're hiring a firm for, right? So, So I think it's the hardest part, but it's also really rewarding as well.
0: It's so interesting now cuz clients, you know, like you said, they're exposed to more or we're just all exposed to more through television or streaming <laughs> or whatever and they'll come with these very elaborate ideas and oftentimes it's it's kind of like a therapy session in a way <laughs> where you're like <laughs> trying to get to what the actual thing is that they're trying to do so they don't get so caught up in the visuals or the presentation mm-hmm. or just letting them know that maybe the visuals and the presentation you're looking for maybe you can't get that on your budget. But if there's a certain feeling you're trying to evoke, then maybe we can get there by doing these other things. And so it is very much this kind of like push-pull process with clients sometimes.
1: Yeah, always, always. (laughs) But you know what? It's, It's a rewarding thing. You know, our firm really is mission forward. We focus on education and opportunity and environment. So for us, and just, you know, so much more education is one of our large areas as well with every single client even though there's that push pull there's always this satisfaction because everything we're doing is really to help them with their mission and so there's always this there's always you know like at the end of the day no matter how hard it is you go home happy or rather you shut off your computer happy (laughs) yeah (laughs) since we're home now (laughs) um but yeah it's just a wonderful place to work so
0: let's kind of uh switch gears here a little bit I know you're a native of the D.C. metro area, so I'd love to kind of learn more about what it was like growing up there for you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I was born in Puerto Rico My family's from there have no accent because um, we came when I was two and we can move to Silver Spring. And, you know, throughout the years, I've moved to several areas in Silver Spring, um, but I'm still here and I love it. You know, the DC area is is really a melting pot. You know, there are, I think out of the top 10, there are two cities, maybe three cities that are the most diverse in the country within the DC area. So it was, Really different. When you grow up in the 70s, you're in school and and you have 63 countries represented in your school. That was the school Ooh. I went to. 63 countries. We had 63 flags in our school. Yes. It was very different. It it was very different. And, you know, the more I travel, you know, the older I got and the more I traveled, the more I realized that the D.C. area is so special. It is so special. I haven't found a place that feels like it, where you can have friends that look completely different from you, speak a different language, and nobody looks at you twice. No one. Mm. Like, no one. (laughs) They just don't look at you twice because that's normal, right? Um, And, of course, being in the D.C. area, there's also a different almost like a different economy as well too because you have the government here and this is one thing that i think people who grow up in the dc area need to realize as designers and just people that when hardships happen around the country they're not quite as hard here because you have the government here and the government can't shut down right Hmm. so when 2008 And it happened just traveling around the country. You could see so many areas with like malls closed and strip malls closed. And in the D.C. area, they were still open, though malls aren't doing it quite as well now. But so it's always important for designers and creatives to just always learn and always see outside themselves. Just don't live in a bubble, but always look outside of your area, see how other people are living and experiencing the same things you are, because it'll just make you a better strategic designer in terms of how you can deliver to the audiences you need to reach.
0: So growing up around all this diversity and, and, you know, this extremely multicultural school, I mean, 63 countries in one school (laughs) growing up is a lot. Were like the arts and design kind of a big part of your childhood? Like, were you exposed to that a lot?
1: I was exposed to art in terms of drawing, and that was really nice. Our school had a really wonderful art program, as well as high school. I was introduced to photography. I would make posters and I would draw, but I actually never heard the term graphic designer <laughs> at all. I went to college first for architecture and I got into one school, but decided that architecture wasn't quite for me. So I graduated Maryland with an art degree because at that time, I found out later their design program was closed, but I had an art degree out of Maryland and I still didn't know the term graphic designer. So I decided to go back to school. I went to Montgomery College just to get kind of a two-year degree in multimedia and design. So that's the first time I heard design with multimedia. And I was like, okay, this is cool. Let me take it. And I just happened to take an elective called Quark. (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh wow.
1: <laughs> yeah. I just I just happened to take it because I had electives to take and you know, I was like Quark. Hmm, I wonder what this quark is. And that's the first time I saw graphic design because it was graphic design, I think like 120 and it was like quark <laughs> 101. And I took Quark and I was in the class and I remember just having such a good time. I mean, I was I was going for it. I was making newsletters. I was, I mean, it was fun. Our screens were only like 15 inches. <laughs> And that was like state of the art back then, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because computers had just come in the scene just about three or four years earlier. They kind of became mainstream. Right. And so I was in class and the professor will never forget him. Professor St. Hours. He looked at my work one day and he's like, you're really good at this. And I was like, good at what? (laughs) And he's like, uh good at this and I was like what is this I was like what is this I'm just making a newsletter and he's like oh dear god he's like can somebody (laughs) tell this child what class he's in and somebody's like graphic design and I was like graphic design and he's like yes you can do this for a living and I said wait what (laughs) (laughs) and at that moment I knew everything was going to be okay I had found my passion, right? I really knew that it was going to be okay. And I took every single graphic design class I could from him, especially. Mm -hmm. And I graduated and I got my first job as uh, a graphic designer with the Gazette newspapers, which was owned by the Washington Post at that time. And that's how I got my start.
0: I'm curious about Quark. I want to go back to that because that's a very, (laughs) like, you said that in my mind immediately went to like, and I don't know if this is probably the right time frame, but I'm guessing this is like mid 90s, probably.
1: You are exactly right. You are exactly yeah, right. it was 94.
0: <laughs> like, I don't even know if I'd have to research. I don't even know if Quark is still like a thing now. But I remember first getting into Quark. I was in, let's see, 94. I probably just got into high school. So, yeah, I remember using Quark and <laughs> Adobe PageMaker. Because I designed my high school's newspaper, or redesigned my high school's mm-hmm. newspaper. Because before that, we were using, or they were using, and this is because I grew up in the in the sticks, but also I think just because publishing hadn't reached digital fully yet everywhere, but we were still mm-hmm. doing mimeographs.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no. You know, you laugh, you laugh. But my first job, we were waxing down the pages of the newspaper on flats. So yeah, it it really was the turn of graphic design becoming more digital to it being more mechanical, right? So using exacto knives when we needed to change a word. Yeah, But it was such good experience, you know, so I love it.
0: <laughs> and it's so interesting because you're, I mean, you're learning the tool and you're learning how to do this. There's no real like examples that you can... Look at, like, when I think about what designers can do now and -hmm. how much is out there in terms of education, they can go on YouTube, they could do LinkedIn learning, or they could do Skillshare or whatever. Like, there's so much out there. We were really winging it back then, like, just trying to figure it out.
1: We were, we were (laughs) winging it. And that's why I love that class, Quark, because the professor had a saying, he's like, Welcome to my class. Number one, do you know the Mac? And I was, or have you ever used a Mac? And I wasn't sure how to answer that question. And some people raised their hand. And he's like, okay, more importantly, have you never used a Mac? And I was about to raise my hand and the person next to me took my hand and said, do not raise your hand or he will kick you out. And he kicked out two people. Oh, <laughs> wow. So I would have never known I should have been a graphic designer. But the one thing he said is I'm going to teach you everything about the, this application. Every drop down, pop-up menu and it's up to you to create something that visually communicates an idea and he did he taught us every single part of that it was almost like a youtube in the class and i wish that i think the way he taught really did inspire me to teach as well but you're right we had nothing we had absolutely zero like we were just going into it like okay here's a blank page let's go Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) and really trying to figure it out and just see how these tools work. And you can read mm-hmm. the instruction manual, but the instruction manuals were like these big, thick Bibles. Like yes. it was hard to get your creativity around it when the instruction manuals were just, well, I guess that's the other thing. There were instruction manuals. <laughs> there were like printed books <laughs> that you had to go through and try to figure this stuff out. So it was, wow, what a time. And they
1: were called Bibles.
0: <laughs> yeah. What a time. Pork Bible. Uh
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh-huh. The Illustrator Bible, I remember. I remember. I know. Back in the day.
0: So let's talk about kind of your early career after you graduated. Did you kind of Mm -hmm. stay around in the D.C. metro area? I did.
1: I stayed around in the D.C. metro area and I worked for the Gazette newspapers. And I just remember just saying, you know, hey, oh, I wish I could do more in design. And one of I just think that people are just put around you and you need to listen to their advice. And there was a coworker named Marie. She was awesome. And she was like, Reese, you're really talented. I don't think you should be stuck here. And I was like, I don't know, this, that, the other. And she's like, you know what? I don't want to hear you complaining unless you're applying. And I said, what? Like, I just was like, she's like, (laughs) she's like, well, don't complain to me about that you want more unless you're applying for another job. And I was like, there's no way I can get a job. I'm just one year out of school. And she's just like, well, I don't want to hear it. And she was serious. She wouldn't let me hear it (laughs) until I started applying. And I applied and I got my first firm job at HR Communications in the DC area. And when I told her, she's like, there you go. She's like, I'm glad it worked. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And that's just how she was. And so I never complained about a job ever again, unless I was doing something about it. Right. So that was really good advice. And from HR Communications, I went to an in-house marketing firm, which was great because it was marketing communications. And I really learned a lot about marketing, went to focus groups, helped conduct them. And that was just wonderful experience to learn how your work is really resonating with your audiences. And I think for the first time, and this was still the 90s, I realized that it's not it's not what I wanted. It's what the customer needed that I needed to deliver. You know, design early on was about your skill and how you could deliver it. But when I worked in that marketing group, I really learned that, you know, I need to listen to that audience. And that was really eye-opening for me and just a wonderful experience there. And then from there, I went to another firm. And that firm was, I think, the change in the quality of my work, right? So this firm was called Miravo, And again, there were another marketing communications firm, but their designers hailed from around the world. They had a designer from Spain, a designer from Korea, and one from the Philippines and all over. (laughs) And what was amazing was this, being the 90s, you know, I thought I knew all the programs. They're the ones that taught me that, hey, oh my goodness, your program can actually merge with other programs and that's when I learned that you could actually merge your files and get this from Illustrator into Photoshop. You could merge your layer files into and that was way back in the day. Mm-hmm. And it just changed the way I could design because now I could make montages that you could only see in magazines, right? Where you're just like how they do that. <laughs> I'm like I don't know how they do that. And so they taught me all these really deep tricks and tips about the actual programs that I think really changed the quality of my design. And again, just really an amazing group of very talented designers. And I remember when I got that job, I interviewed for it three times. Hmm. And the first time I went, the owner was like, you're good, but you're just not what we need. You know, it's It's not quite what we need. And I was like, okay. I was like, can you tell me about my work? What is it that you like? What is it that you don't like? I don't have an ego. Let me know how I can improve. He told me. He's like, I like this, but you know, our quality has more depth. It has more layering. I was like, okay, that sounds great. So I went back and, you know, I kept designing, adding more things into my portfolio about three months later that called me in. And at that time, I told them, well, I have a new job. I'm not going to come in. And they're like, just come in. Let's just have a chat. And I was like, "Okay, I'll just have a chat. So I went and showed them a couple more pieces. And he's like, oh, wow, you listened. I was like, well, of course. I was like, I love your work. I was like, of course I listened. And he's like, hmm, all right, hmm. So he had me talk. You know, he had me come back to talk to the art director. And I realized at that time they were trying to have me leave the job that had just started. And I wrote a list, you know why I should stay at the job where I was or why I should go. And I realized that even if I stayed in this new firm for six months, the level of work that would come out of it would be so much more than I could ever get at the firm that I had gone to. So I decided to go. The only job that I have ever been in less than a year, but it was life-changing. It was honestly life-changing.
0: Now, after that, is that when you ended up joining ASCD?
1: That is correct. That is correct. So that firm hit the .dot com era, <laughs> the early two thousands, where all the .dot coms kind of lost their funding, mm-hmm. and that was and that was ninety percent of our work. So the firm shut its doors, and I was left without job. And I was like, all right. I was like, okay, what are we going to do here? And I told myself, because, you know, now you have eight designers looking for work that each have the level of quality you have, right? So I started looking for work and there were jobs that had a little bit more technical, like motion, you know, people were getting into flashback then. And so I would just refer like other designers and, you know, they would be like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Because the job wasn't right for me. But I also told myself, I'm going to look for any job. It doesn't matter. And I applied to a role (laughs) for an in-house designer with an in-house agency. They called themselves an in-house agency. And that was kind of in the early 2000s. And that was rare, you know, to have a team of designers that would call themselves an in-house agency. So I went, I tried, and I looked. And the work I was like, oh my gosh, what are you guys doing here? And I realized that they were a mid-sized publisher for educational books and products. And I was like, this is amazing work. I've never done a book before, right? So I showed my portfolio and I got the job. And it was such an incredible experience designing books and just growing within that environment that I stayed. I also had a wonderful manager. And it's true, you stay at a job where you have you have a great leader. And so he saw leadership potential within myself and would give me opportunities to lead projects. And then I started leading web projects and I started to lead applications, so product managed. So it was a wonderful experience where I was able to do everything from design applications as well as apps towards the end of the 15 years, could design websites, you know, online store hundreds of books, just everything run the gamut, including their large annual conference. So I would do the branding around the entire annual conference. And then through the years, I got promoted four times. So Mm. it was just a wonderful opportunity to grow. And I was on vacation when that was a thing, when you left the country. I got a call from a recruiter at LinkedIn for a position. And I remember it just wasn't right. I was happy where I was, right? And I said, thank you. And the recruiter said, well, just take a look at our job description online. And I said, sure, sure, I'll go ahead and do that. And so I clicked the link and here I am in France (laughs) and I'm scrolling down, I'm scrolling down. I was like, yeah, I don't think this is right. And then there was in LinkedIn, at least back then there was title, other jobs like these. Right. And I was like, okay, so another job like this. So I started looking at those jobs and there was one job there. And it was the Hatcher Group. And I was like, huh, let me just read it. And I was like, oh, they're looking for a senior VP of kids design. Hmm. All right. Let's take a look at what this looks like. And it looked good. It was everything I was doing now. And I was like, this is good. But they really wanted to grow what they had as a k- design team, right? So they only had one designer and an intern, and they were mostly a communications firm, you know, a PR firm at that time. And they really wanted to grow it into more. And so I'm reading the description, and there's one line, and I just, that line stuck out to me. And that line was, above all, we're looking for someone who is kind. And I mm. was like, whoa. <laughs> I
0: wow. was like, whoa
1: yes wow who looks for somebody who's kind this is awesome especially
0: at an agency
1: especially at an agency and i was like (laughs) i was like well if i'm gonna go somewhere let me go to a place where you know they want somebody who's kind i think i'm kind but i know they're kind because they're looking for someone who is like them right so i knew that just from the job description and so i applied and i got the job right and so that was 4 years ago and we've grown from one designer and one intern to a team of 16. So, we're doing some great things and, you know, I have an amazing team. I focus on hiring diverse designers. I think it's important. I think a lot of firms run into trouble when they don't hire diverse designers because we can check with each other and say, hey, does this work for this audience, right? Because you don't have that lived experience. And that is very critical for me. But what it does too is it teaches the, uh, the other designers how to, how to have a critical but worldwide view of the work that we're doing, especially because we're working with very sensitive topics as well in terms of education and the environment and equity within those spaces. It's just really important to understand how the images that you use, the icons that you use, even the way it's placed, how that reads to your intended audience. And if it portrays them fairly, right? So that's actually something that we focus on.
0: I want to go back briefly to ASCD. I mean, that was such a a large part of your career. You were there for 15 years. I was. When you look back at that time, is there anything like that really stands out to you that you remember the most?
1: Oh, absolutely. We had a wonderful team. You know, it's where I learned how how to manage. You know, it's where my boss gave me the opportunity to take his job as he was promoted into a larger role. And it's also where I learned to ensure that your designers can grow in the way that they want to grow. Instead of keeping people siloed into one area, I learned that it works well. It works so well for that team. We were so productive and people grew exactly where they wanted to. And they became designers first and then they learned the mediums, right, second. So that's where I learned that. Quality was actually something that was so key to that team and to my boss. And I learned that quality is actually something that happens when the whole team works together as a unit, when everybody helps each other. And so I also hire hire people that don't have egos, you know, because we really do critique each other and help each other grow and, and ensure that everything that comes out, everything that comes out of our shop has the quality that, the customer expects, right? The client expects, but most important, I learned how to manage. I learned that if you treat your people like you're equal, like people, you're not their parent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and you shouldn't be. but you treat them like you're equal, and you know, if you're having a problem with someone, just have a conversation and say, "Hey, what's going on? Is everything okay? How can I help you?" You tell me how I can help you. Then you have a team that is, that will come to you first. You know, if anything goes wrong, my team just comes to me and say, Hey, here's, here's what went down. (laughs) <laughs> mm. And then I'm like, okay. So how did you fix it? Like you know. So we work through the solutions, and you know we grow people. And I think that that is such a wonderful quality that I loved during the 15 years. I loved being able to go to my boss and say, "He, here's how I screwed up. Here's how I think we should fix it. Do you agree?" <laughs> um, and nine times out of ten, he did. Oh, yeah, that's a great call. And you know what? It's okay we all screw up sometimes. And so I manage the same way. And I think it's really important that, you know, folks feel, folks feel free to grow and to make those mistakes. Cause that's how you get exceptional designers. Right. And I have exceptional designers. So I am, I'm a very lucky person.
0: I mean, yeah, it definitely sounds like, you know, to be able to have that level of openness among the team like that, that really takes really, I think, Deftful, but also very skillful kind of just management. And with being at ASCD, as long as you have, being able to really learn that in that environment is definitely helped out with what you're doing at Hatcher.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: 100%. Now you also are a design educator. We've had several design educators here on revision path. You're an adjunct professor at George Mason University where you've been since uh, 2008. Tell me about your, your time teaching there. Like, what are you? I'm curious, like, what are you teaching now?
1: Actually, now um, I start next week. I teach, I am teaching UX design as well as kit design principles and theory. So methods and principles, which is really the theory of design. It's their first studio class where they learn how to design. And it's one of my favorite classes. I've taught it since 2008 and I love it. I love it. I love it so much. And I love the outcome of not only the program and the students, about a fourth of my staff are my former students. (laughs) Oh, really? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I snag them when I can. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So, yeah, so I kind of fell into teaching, you know, one of the wonderful parts of working with in-house firms is that they have lots of benefits. So, ASCD had tuition reimbursement, right? So I was like, hey, why don't I get my MFA in kid design? And I found a program that had most of their classes at night and the University of Baltimore. I applied and got in and I went through that. There, I learned and w- worked with the head of the kid design program at George Mason. And one day I was just sitting around and he said, you know, I think you would be a really good professor. And I said, Oh, no, not me. There's no way (laughs) because I grew up with a stutter. Right. So, you know, just learning how to speak fluently was just really hard for me. And even now, you know, even though I I now have lived a little bit more than half my life without the stutter, I still I still can hear the struggle. Right. So I, I just doubted myself so much. And, you know, he just left it alone. Years later, he called me and he said, Hey, How about that teaching gig that I talked to you about? I was like, oh, it would be wonderful, but I don't know. He's like, I really need you. And I said, I don't know. He's like, why don't you call me tomorrow? Think about it. So I said, okay. So the next day I called him. I couldn't sleep that night. I was so nervous about teaching. I just couldn't sleep. So I said, you know what? I know it's a good opportunity. It's hard to get in, but I just don't think I can do it. And I left him a message and he didn't answer me back. So I kept texting (laughs) him. The day after he called me and said, Hey, I got your message. I'm sorry I got it late. I already put your name in and I can't change it. (laughs) And come to find out, he could have changed it. (laughs) (laughs) But I thank him every day. His name is Don Starr. I thank him every single day for kind of tricking me (laughs) into that teaching job because the first night I taught, I realized I love this. This is so amazing. And you just get this like vibe when you teach. My mom was a teacher and she told me, she's like, when when one of your students like learns how to read, like you get this, like your whole body gets like this shiver, you know, like you just get this vibe that, wow, you know, like what I'm doing is making a difference. And she's right. I got that same vibe when... I had a student who really understood a concept, uh, understood a theory and was able to apply it and created something that looked so beautiful. And I was like, yes. And I got hooked. I got the teaching. <laughs> yeah, so I just got hooked to teaching. And, you know, with that first class, which was the Kid Design Methods and Theories class, I just had a great time. And, you know, I, I kept teaching. There's other classes I teach as well. I've taught typography, infographic design, motion graphics and I just have a blast with it all. Like I said, I think that teaching is so important and learning how to teach those foundational skills are the critical part that I think is missing in some programs as well because you know, I also interview and hire and look at hundreds of of portfolios all the time and just those little things that you can see throughout is what I I teach you know the things that c- people don't get or they don't understand how how to really put their work together or how to continually improve their work so I just have a great time with it
0: how would you say things have changed as like since you started teaching there like how have you grown as an educator
1: i have I don't like grades, though I have to grade folks, (laughs) but I love projects. And so my projects have gotten more complex. They also have introduced a digital aspect to them because everything now has a digital aspect. Even if you do a report, we're asked to do social media or a little motion graphic video that will help to launch that report, right? So I think I use what I see at work as a part of how to improve the way I teach. So when I see shifts in kind of the industry or in the way clients are asking for work, I also change how I teach to mirror that, to ensure that my students are ready for hire as soon as they graduate.
0: From your perspective, like, and and again, you've been teaching since 2008 and you've mentioned these changes, what do design students, and I guess design graduates also, what do they want? From the design industry?
1: That's actually a good question. And I've had a couple of students, especially during the pandemic, really kind of reach out for mentoring because we haven't been in person, right? So for two years. So they want to be ready. They want to be ready to get a job. They want to ensure that they're not looked over they really want to understand how their work applies in the real world and that's actually something that i do you know as a part of every single class i also take one one class period to teach them salaries right mm. what are you worth what are you worth when you go out here, here's the salary range. Here's how you can adapt it for the DC area. Or let's say you were going to New York. Here's how you adapt it. Let's say you were going to Chicago, right? Or let's say we're going to Calabama or to Mississippi. Here's here's how you can change and see what you're worth and how much you can ask for. I also go over portfolios you know i'm like these portfolios work and here's why i go over resumes these resumes work and here's why and i explain to them how to get ready for the real world why it's important that their work is good how they can self edit to ensure that you don't have one piece that looks really bad <laughs> with with work that looks really good cuz i see that all all the time when i'm looking at the students portfolios i'm like why did you add that invitation? And they're like, well, because I don't have an invitation. I'm like, but do you think it looks good? They're like, no, it's not my best work. I'm like, well, I'm going to judge you on that. And they're like, what do you mean? I said, well, as a creative director, if I look at this, I'm going to say somebody helped you with everything else. And mm-hmm. the one that looks bad is the one you did on your own. Mm. And, and they're like, oh, I said, mm-hmm. I was like, take it out. (laughs) So I help them learn how to edit their work, you know, because as you're coming up, you always have a couple of duds in there where you're, you know, they're not horrible, but they're just not the level of quality as some of your other work. So learn how to edit because your portfolio is the way that someone's going to hire you. So I really help them with that. And I think that's what they're really looking for. They're looking for help to ensure that they can get a job because we all know how it feels when you graduate and then, you know, you have to, like, make it on your own.
0: Yeah. (laughs)
1: That intense feeling of fear, like, oh, dear God, (laughs) I've got to pay for everything myself. And back then it was harder because you literally left home, right? Like nowadays you can come back, you know, things are changing a little bit. But back then, you know, they were just like, okay, you're gone. Bye, college. You know, you're gone. But kids still feel that. They still feel that fear. So just helping them know that these things can help them. And then I also do mock interviews and I do them in class so that people can see how I answer questions. And I tell them, just ask me anything. And I've gotten some really tough questions (laughs) for them to see how I answer that so that they can really have a leg up when they go to their first interview. And even afterwards, I will help students. I give them my email address. I'm like, hey, you want a mock interview? Let's do it. You want me to look at your portfolio? Let's do it. Just the other day, I had a student who was so nervous about an interview that they had actually with. Deloitte. <laughs> and they were just so nervous and so they just wanted me to go over again, you know, they just wanted to practice and they wanted to go over it one on one. So I took some time to help that student and you know, they reached out and said that they got the job and I was so excited because you know, there's another level that's hard here to the pandemic, right? So yeah. they just have that nervousness going out. So I take the time for that too because I think it's important and I wish I wish I had that when I was first coming out. And so I make sure that I'm there for them so that they don't have to feel like, you know, they're going out alone.
0: Well, I think what you're doing with like reviewing their portfolios and resumes and talking about salaries and, you know, doing mock interviews, like that stuff is so, so, so important for designers just to get out there and sort of know what it is that they have to do to try to, compete in the marketplace but also the position themselves in the best possible light absolutely like i've done some work in the past with uh the art Institutes, particularly the art institute of atlanta uh, here in atlanta and they have this uh they sort of do this thing every year where they bring in people from the local design community and they sort of yeah. have a dinner at the school and what they're doing with that is one you know just trying to meet practitioners out in the city, but also to get a sense of like, what do we need to be teaching students? Like what out there are you seeing in mm-hmm. the market that we need to inform them of, you know, whether that's about upcoming technologies or certain design it. trends or things like that to try to stay current and keep up on top of things. Like it's funny, you, you're talking about your adjunct experience and I'm thinking about, I taught adjunct design. I, oh, This was 2012, I think like 2011, 2012, I, uh, was teaching like a principles of web design course oh, love it. as an adjunct. <laughs> and when I tell you it was so dated, well, first of all, it was a, it was a BIS course. It was a business information systems mm-hmm. kind of major. So it already wasn't like technically really designed. You were just mm-hmm. teaching business students enough design to sort of, get by I guess but the curriculum was so old oh like we were teaching like when I started they had students learning how to design web pages using tables and I'm like this is 2011 2012 something sometime around that I and learned I'm like, tables. I learned tables in the nineties. <laughs> I learned exactly. Me too. I learned tables in the nineties too. And I'm like, you have to teach, because uh, this was sort of in that period where CSS layout design, of course, was mm-hmm. the norm at that point. And I remember, I, shoot, I remember working at AT and in 2007 ish, mm-hmm. and we made the switch from tables to CSS. And I mean, you want to talk about seeing grown people cry I at know. work. <laughs> <laughs> I know I remember that <laughs> switch it was it was emotional for many. So in this teaching thing I remember going to the dean and like petitioning to to rewrite the curriculum because I'm like you're setting these students up to fail. Absolutely. If you're teaching them how to design in tables and then they go out there in the world trying to get some design jobs and say they have some HTML experience and it's this dated like it's we're not putting them we're not setting them up in the best light eventually they did let me kind of rewrite the curriculum so i did teach them like basic css and stuff but i'm thinking like what if i didn't or what if another educator was just like oh this is what i'm teaching okay and -hmm. just went with it so the fact that you're extending that out like you're you're doing way more than usual (laughs) i mean I, i certainly commend you for that Oh,
1: thank you. But no, what I was going to say is that that's really important. And that's one of the things that I love about George Mason is that with the curriculum that I'm able to continually update it. So every single semester, I update everything to ensure, you know, including my samples, because I want to make sure that the students have the latest and the greatest of how you can incorporate design into all this new technology. And it's just really important to be able to do that because it's true. Just like you said, if you don't do that, you are setting them up to fail from the beginning. And school's not cheap, right? So... Yeah, let's make sure let's make sure they have all the right tools so that they can go out and, you know, and live their best life. Right.
0: (laughs) What is the design community like for you at this stage in your career?
1: Oh, it's awesome. The D.C. area, as well as the Baltimore area, because I'm still connected through school, they have such a strong design community that they overlap as well at times. But it's really strong. I'm a part of AIGA. I volunteer, I am on the Continuum Fund, which is a scholarship fund for underserved kid designers. And it's just wonderful. It's great to kind of grow with kid designers and also bring up new designers and seeing them grow in leadership roles as well. It's actually something that's important because no matter how large your city is, the design community is actually small. And that's the thing that I think that people need to understand. Like I'm connected with so many people around the city and know when they're looking for someone, I can refer other people. And that's why it's important to to always get connected to the community where you are, because it's a great way to help you find jobs or just to grow in design or just to give back, you know, to uh, mentor or to help an upcoming student or a designer that joins a group. So I encourage everybody to do that if they can.
0: And you're a recent DC Design Fellow. Congratulations on that.
1: Thank you so much. Um, (laughs) I was shocked and honored to be named an AIGA Fellow. It's something that's given to, you know, just a few people and not every year. And for me to be chosen, I was very humbled and just very gracious. And it just, you know, kind of, makes me want to k- triple my efforts um, in terms of what I'm doing and teaching and mentoring, because I realize now that it's made a difference, right? and and that's really the power of of just winning that award is just realizing that you you can make a difference. You can help your community just by giving back. It was a really fun experience.
0: Who are some of your influences? Like who inspires you? It's actually, everyone around me, but
1: including, and I think the most important are my students. I am the creative director I am today. I am the leader I am today because of them. They inspire me to push further. They inspire me and grow. You know, they just have just great ideas that they use on their projects, that they come forward, that they ask, hey, can I do this? And I'm like, hmm, I don't see why not. Let's have a go. And so they keep me always growing, learning, and searching for new ways to apply design. And they inspire me every day. I think that's why I'm hooked to learning. And I'm hooked to teaching because basically I learn from them. As much as they learn from me, I learn from them.
0: What are you the most excited about at the moment?
1: I think... I am the most excited about how technology is informing design, how we can apply design to new things. So for example, augmented reality, right? So AR, VR, and how I can apply that within my teaching, right? As well as within my own firm. So just, I love how the industry and how we could design has to continually change. I think that that keeps us fresh. It keeps us learning. It keeps us growing. And that's important. I mean, I think creativity really requires the pursuit of experiencing learning and observing as much as you can. One of the things I always say is you cannot design what you don't know, right? So you have to continually be curious and open-minded and just always be a student and just continuing to learn not only in your field, but what's around it and be ready for it so that you can continue to visually communicate ideas um, to your clients.
0: Where do you see yourself in the next five years? I mean, with what you've got going on with teaching as well as your work at the Hatcher Group, it sounds like you've got a very, very bright future in terms of what you want to do.
1: I'm always living in the present, right? So right now I am so excited with the work I'm doing at the Hatcher Group. I recently got promoted to executive vice president, which actually Mm. allows me to do a lot more business development, not only with the firm, but with our clients. So it's a wonderful place for me to be in five years. I can tell you, you know, as long as they'll have me, I will still be teaching that I do know. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's how I actually relax after a long day as I teach. And the moment I go in and I say, hi, class, how are you doing? Like all the stress leaves. And we just have a great time and we laugh and just learn together. In terms of what I do, I hope that I'm always going to be tied to design in some way. You know, the next five years for me just really It incorporates, it incorporates me continuing to learn I'm always looking at the next program. I know it's weird, but I am looking at a doctor's program. So I think it's important for me to continue just growing and learning within my own field, you know, and right now just doing what I do at Hatcher.
0: And just to kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and your work and everything online?
1: Well, they can go to the hatchergroup.com, as well as my own personal website, k 9 creative.com and i am also on linkedin at linkedin.com slash reese quinones
0: all right sounds good well reese quinones i want to thank you so so much for coming on the show i mean just going through everything that you are doing with the hatcher group and with education and your background and everything i mean you're someone that i think a lot of people in the design industry can look up to it's so interesting before we you know recorded you were talking about how you don't know or you didn't know why you received the dc fellow award and i'm like i don't see how you didn't know considering how much you've been not just you know a practitioner in design for a very long time but also how much you're giving back to the next generation of design through teaching oh, and everything so, <laughs> so i am so glad to have had you on the show and to share your story and i look forward to seeing uh, what comes next so thank you for coming on the show i appreciate it
1: thank you so much i
0: had an awesome time big big thanks to reese quinones and of course thanks to you for listening You can find out more about Reese and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. And of course, thanks to our wonderful sponsor, Brevity & Wit. Brevity & Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They accomplish this through graphic design, presentations, and workshops around IDEA, inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility. If you're curious to learn how to combine a passion for IDEA with design, Then check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit, creative excellence without the grind. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Maurice Cherry, with engineering and editing by RJ Basilio. Our voiceover, the intro, is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. So, what did you think of the interview? Better yet, what do you think about the podcast overall? We'd love to hear from you, so please don't be a stranger. You can hit us up on Twitter. You can hit us up on Instagram. Just search for Revision Path, all one word. Or you can leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or on Spotify. Let everyone you know know about the show because it really helps us grow and reach more people all around the world. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.